Good morning, everyone. If we haven't met, I'm Emily. I'm one of the pastors here at New Denver. And last week, I kicked off a six-week series on the five love languages. We said that there are five love languages, five distinct ways that we give and receive love, and that we each have a primary love language, one that resonates with us more than the others. We said it's really important to figure out your primary love language and also the primary love languages of all the people closest to you. You need to learn how your roommate or parent or best friend or child or sibling or spouse best receives love so that you can give them love in that way. And over the next five weeks, we'll be diving into each of the five love languages. And we aren't just learning about the love languages in theory, but we're actually doing a love language experiment where we will be practicing the love languages along the way with one or two people that you chose last week. So if you missed last week, go back and listen to get more fully caught up. Um, But today we're going to dive into our first love language, which is gifts. I'm really excited about this one. So I think we're going to have some fun together today. Um, First, I want to show you something that we can glean from scripture that I think is really, really important as we begin this discussion. Um, And it's this, God is the best gift giver. It's true. Let's start with Jesus's own words to his disciples in Matthew 7. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, it may feel a little harsh that Jesus just called a group of people evil, but to be fair, he's comparing them to God, who's perfect, so try not to let that trip you up too much. The point is that even imperfect people know how to give good gifts. If someone asks you for bread, will you give them a stone? Probably not. If someone that you love comes to you and asks you for a fish, will you give them a snake? I sure hope you wouldn't. That would be creepy and disgusting. So if you, with all of your flaws, know how to give good gifts, how much more will God, who is completely and totally perfect, give good gifts to those who ask him? God is the best gift giver. Or here's James. Now, there's a few different guys named James in the New Testament, but the book of the Bible called James is most likely comprised of the sermons and sayings of James, Jesus's younger brother. Jesus was obviously Mary's firstborn, you know, with the whole being a virgin thing. But after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph went on to have a normal family. So Jesus had siblings and one of his siblings, James, became such a devoted follower of Jesus that after Jesus's death and resurrection, James was a leader in the early church. And we get to read some of its thoughts about life and faith and yes, even his big brother in the book of James. I think one of the best arguments for Jesus being God is the fact that his little brother thought this was the case. I bet you could not pay your little brother enough to just utter the words under his breath that you are God, much less devote his whole life to telling others. But James, the brother of Jesus, even died for his belief that Jesus was God. If your brother who has an up-close look at your whole life, including the angsty teenage years when no one is at their best, and he's convinced that you're God enough to die for that fact, I don't know, maybe we should seriously consider that this guy might be God. Okay, that's a bit of a rabbit trail. Here's what James has to say about God as a gift giver. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Every good and perfect gift. I love that. 
let's get more specific, shall we? What kinds of gifts does God give? What are the gifts God gives? Well, Paul, another leader in the early church, gave a sermon that included this description of some of the gifts that God gives. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. God gives life and breath. We don't breathe for a second without God allowing it. So I like that it says life and breath and everything else. Thanks, Paul. That about sums it up. Here are some verses that you might be familiar with that will help us see some of the other gifts that God gives. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Or there's this one. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or this one. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. What do these verses tell us about the gifts that God gives us? He gives salvation, forgiveness of sins, eternal life with him. Those are some pretty good gifts. Here's another one. The same Luke who wrote the gospel of Luke provided, um, which provided a detailed account of Jesus's life. He also wrote the book of Acts, which provided a detailed account of the early church. Acts is the sequel to Luke and it picks up where Luke leaves off. So here's how the book of Acts begins. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. In this passage, we learn a couple of things. First of all, did you know that Jesus appeared to people after his resurrection over a period of 40 days? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that Jesus appeared to more than 500 people in that period of time. So if you've always pictured Jesus raising from the dead, showing up to a couple friends, and then immediately going back to heaven, that's actually not how it happened. Or maybe it's been easy for you to dismiss Jesus's resurrection as a historical fact because you thought, well, there's not even evidence of him showing himself to that many people. And I get that. If Jesus only shows himself to one or two people who claim to see him, that's pretty easy to write off. But 500 people over a period of 40 days? It gets a little bit more sticky for you. Jesus appeared to over 500 people in a period of 40 days and then was taken to heaven. And Luke tells us that on one of these occasions, he's eating a meal with some friends and he gives them this command to not leave Jerusalem until they receive the gift that God had promised. But what is this gift? Well, one thing to know is that in the writing of Luke and Acts, Luke is obsessed with the Holy Spirit. He talks about the Holy Spirit all the time. Remember the very first verse that we read today from Matthew? Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone, fish, snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Well, in Luke's account of the same teaching, he's even more specific. According to him, this is what Jesus said. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
The Holy Spirit is the gift Jesus' disciples are supposed to wait in Jerusalem to receive from God. And this becomes abundantly clear in Acts 2. The disciples receive the Holy Spirit, and Peter, one of Jesus' disciples and best friends, begins to preach to a large crowd of people and says this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what does God give? Just a few off the top of our head, off the top of these verses, life and breath and everything else, salvation from sin and eternal life with him. And now we see God gives the Holy Spirit, who Jesus describes as being our advocate and the one who helps us recognize the truth about God. When we choose to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and guides us and is God's presence with us. He's our encourager. He convicts us when we start going the wrong way and points us back to God. He's our comforter. He gives us peace. He prays for us. He gives us the strength and power we need to live a life pleasing to God. The Holy Spirit is a great gift. Let's look at one more passage. This is from 1 Peter. Each of you should give whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. God gives us all different gifts. He gives us each strengths, abilities, skills, unique personalities and wirings. Everything you're good at comes from God. Every ability you have, everything that's gone well in your life, you have not achieved anything on your own apart from the grace and gifts of God. Everything you have, you owe to him who made you and has gifted you in so many ways and with so many resources and abilities. God is the giver of life and breath and everything else. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. You hear me? That brings us to this. If God is a good gift giver, and as followers of Jesus, we want to become more like God, then we need to become good gift givers too. The love languages are not just about us becoming better people or better friends or siblings or spouses or parents. They're actually about us becoming more like God who shows his love to people in, in each of these five ways. So just like God is a good gift giver, we need to learn how to become good gift givers too. And here's how one good friend of mine describes gifts or presents. Watch this. Presents are the best way to show someone how much you care. It is like this tangible thing that you can point to and say, hey man, I love you this many dollars worth. Okay, so maybe that's not exactly right. Here's how Dr. Gary Chapman describes the love language of gifts. He says, gifts are visual symbols of love. He says, a gift is a tangible object that communicates, I was thinking about you. I wanted you to have this. I love you. This is universal and timeless. Anthropologists have never discovered a culture in which gift giving is not an expression of love. He says, a gift is something you can hold in your hand and say, look, he was thinking of me or she remembered me. I talked to my friend Julia this week. Julia was my college roommate and she always stands out in my mind as someone whose primary love language is gifts. She was the kind of friend who would pick up something throughout her day to give to you just to show she was thinking about you. And even now, even though we haven't lived in the same state in almost eight years, I'll still get packages in the mail that are gifts from her. When my first daughter, Eva, was born, she hand-sewed the cutest little burp cloths and sent them to us. Or when Bailey was born, she bought and sent matching outfits for the girls to wear together. 
She's a friend that you can count on to provide a care package if you're going through a rough week or to pick out the best, most thoughtful present for you for your birthday. That's just perfect. And when it comes to receiving gifts, almost anything goes. You could give this girl a ketchup packet, and if it somehow communicated that you cared, she would treasure it. So I asked Julia this week, what do you want others to know about people whose primary love language is gifts? And this is what she said. When someone gives me a gift, I feel touched that they would take the time, put in the effort, and spend their money or handcraft that gift for me. I love the thoughtfulness behind gifts. I think this love language can be seen as being materialistic or potentially be misconstrued as buying someone's love or affection. Yet as a person whose love language is gifts, I feel loved through the action of giving gifts. Even a $5 gift card to Starbucks and a sweet note makes me feel so validated, loved, and cared for. Someone might not think that's enough yet. That feels like enough to me. I also asked her, what makes for the best gifts? And she said this, Don't put pressure on yourself to give lavish, expensive, or over-the-top gifts. The best gifts aren't necessarily the biggest or flashiest ones. One of the most meaningful gifts to me was a Taco Tuesday Valentine's-themed gift box after I had gone through a breakup. The giver surprised me with the gift box because she knew I was going through a tough time and wanted me to know I was loved. Those gifts are the best kinds of gifts. I have a question for you to think about today. Why are some of the gifts we receive so terrible? Have you thought about this? Have you paused to analyze why you feel more loved when you receive certain gifts over others? And let's be real, if there are gifts that stand out in our mind as the best gifts we've ever gotten, there are also gifts that stand out in our mind as the worst, right? Why is that? Or maybe you've experienced the flip side. Maybe you've given someone a gift and you expected them to love it, but they didn't. Maybe you felt like it was a good gift, but for some reason it just didn't land and you felt frustrated and discouraged and maybe you even wanted to throw in the towel on giving gifts to that person. Maybe you had the thought, fine, if they're going to be this ungrateful, I just won't give them a gift ever again. I know I've made my husband Phil feel that way. A few Christmas Eves ago, we exchanged gifts and I actually cried. And it wasn't that the gifts he gave were bad in and of themselves. Other people might have really liked them, but they just didn't connect with me. We just had Christmas. Probably most of us got at least a couple presents. And it's just true. Some presents are better than others. Why is that? I'll let you in on a little secret. This is the secret to great gift giving. So if you hear nothing else today, listen to this. The best gifts are the ones that make the recipient feel the most known. If you want to give a gift to someone, you need to first figure out what kinds of gifts they like to receive. I asked Julia, what tips do you have for people who are trying to become better gift givers? And here's what she said. You have to think about intent versus impact. Take into account the other person's interests, needs, and what would bring the receiver joy. It's important to consider that gift giving isn't always about what you personally think someone should have or what you think is cool or interesting. It should be about the receiver of the gift. She gives a couple really good pieces of advice in there. So let's break it down. Intent versus impact. You may have good intentions in giving a certain gift, but if the receiver isn't going to enjoy it, it's not a good gift. The impact is not going to be what either of you were hoping for. So if you're a knitter, you like to knit. So you think, great, I'm going to knit some socks for my grandkids this winter. And 
now I'm stereotyping that people who like to knit are old, but hang with me. Please pause and ask yourself, would my grandson like to receive knitted socks for Christmas? Is this a gift that's going to make him feel known and loved? If the answer is no, probably not, he would probably rather get some Legos than put down those knitting needles, lady. And now our hypothetical knitter is old and a woman, but if we played this scenario out, we know exactly how it would happen, right? Grandma knits Johnny some socks. Johnny opens said socks and responds with a half-hearted smile and a plight, thank you, but deep down, he's disappointed. He would have loved some new Legos to add to his collection. And then Grandma's disappointed because she worked really hard knitting these socks and Johnny doesn't even seem to care about all the time or effort that she put into them. And nobody is happy, nobody feels loved. You've encountered something along these lines, haven't you? Intent versus impact. Julia said something else too. She said that gift giving is not about you, the giver, but it's about the recipient and what they will enjoy. When you give a gift, it should never be about you and what you like, but about the recipient and what they will like and find meaningful. We've probably all fallen prey to this gift giving trap at times. I know I've given gifts in the past that I thought were really funny. And then in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, that was probably more for my own entertainment than actually what was gonna be good or helpful for the person I was giving it to. In my early 20s, I was invited to a wedding. I'm a little bit nervous to share this. I hadn't been to many weddings yet and I probably should have known better, but I'm just gonna chalk it up to ignorance and say I was young and didn't know proper gift giving etiquette at the time. So I definitely made the couple a custom set of coasters with a picture of my own face on them <laughs> in several different poses. And looking back, that is not my proudest gift-giving moment. Was it funny? Well, I sure thought so. Should I have also gotten them a real gift or at least some cash so they could have bought something that they actually liked to furnish their home with? 100%, yes, I should have. Gift-giving is not about you. Just because you like something doesn't mean that they will. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about the fact that you don't actually have to like the gift that you give to someone else. As long as they like it, that's what matters. And I cannot stress this enough. If you want to become a good gift giver, you have to realize it's not about you. And maybe you didn't even realize you were making it about you. I'm not saying that we do this intentionally, but I think a good rule of thumb is if a gift looks more like you, the giver, than it does the person receiving it, that's not gonna be a good gift. A gift should never match the style or preferences of the giver over the recipient. Phil likes really cool mugs, or what he considers to be really cool mugs. I think cool mugs are mugs that are white and come in a matching set of like six or eight. He likes mugs that are eclectic and unique. So a couple years ago for Christmas, I found this mug and I instantly knew he was going to like it, but I hated it. It was a cat mug, and not just a cat mug. It was literally the shape of the face of a cat. So I bought him this mug, and I just prayed, Lord, please let this be one of those mugs that he takes to work and leaves to use there. <laughs> you don't have to actually like the gift that you give to someone else in order for it to be a good gift. If they like it, that is all that matters. It will be a good gift. Gary Chapman gives us two tips to help you perfect the art of gift giving, and they're super simple and really helpful. Here's the first tip. Tip number one, listen closely. 
I'm not telling you listen closely. That's the tip. Listen closely. In order to become good gift givers, we've got to listen closely. We've got to be a detective studying the person we're wanting to give a gift to to find out what's going to be meaningful for them. Because the point of a gift is to make someone feel known and loved. Listen closely to what a person says. People give clues all the time about the kinds of things that they like or care about. And watch, pay attention to the person. See how someone decorates. Be mindful of what they like to eat. Notice what types of things they choose for themselves when they have an option between multiple items or opportunities. If you're going to buy a person clothes, notice carefully over a period of time what it is they normally wear. Have you ever received a gift that was a clothing item and your first thought was, what is it about me that has led you to believe that I would possibly desire to wear this? Now, I'm guessing you didn't say it out loud, but you've thought that, right? I'm not the only one who has opened a brown paisley fleece poncho hand sewn by my mother and laughed thinking it was a joke only to find that she was actually serious and that she made this for me because she thought I would like it and because it's neutral and goes with everything. Oh yeah, here it is. That is a picture of Phil wearing it the first time we hung out because my roommates and I in seminary would make new people we hung out with wear it as a kind of initiation to our friend group. And I can joke about it now, but my mom was really disappointed when she made matching fleece ponchos for my sisters and me, and none of us were as thrilled in opening them as she thought we would be. In order to become a good gift giver, you need to be a student of the gift recipient. Learn about them. Learn what they like, what they value, what their style is, what activities they're into. Learn what their dreams are and the things that they hope to do or accomplish. The more tailored your gift is to the person who will be receiving it, the better a gift it will be. And the more it will communicate your love and care. I like presents that are practical. Give me something I can use that will make my life just a little bit easier. If you give me a keepsake, I probably won't keep it. If someone were to name a star after me, I think I would throw up in my mouth a little bit. And other people would love that. It would be so sentimental and meaningful to them, but it is so impractical. Like, what the heck am I supposed to do with that? Thanks a lot. A coworker gave me an adapter for my laptop this week because I didn't have one and I needed one and he had an extra he wasn't using and that was a great gift. So practical. I love it. Listen to the person. Get to know their tastes and what it is they'll actually like or use or appreciate. Find out what they need. Ask them questions. Find out what kinds of gifts they enjoy receiving. Would they prefer something practical? Something sentimental? Something that's totally unnecessary but just plain fun? Give them those things. Even if the person you're getting a gift for has a wide range of gifts they would find to be acceptable, even if the person, you know that they'll appreciate whatever is given to them because it's coming from you, the best gifts are still the ones that make us feel the most known. When we receive a gift that makes us feel known, we feel more loved. So tip number one is listen closely. Tip number two is make a list. Listen, 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 watch, be a detective, ask questions, pay attention, and then make a list. Literally write things down. 
whether it's in a notebook or in your phone, keep a record of things you learn about the most important people in your life or anyone you're wanting to give a gift to so that when the time comes for you to get them a gift, you aren't stumped. You aren't working from a blank slate. You have a record of things that they've talked about, things that they like that can easily translate then into gift ideas. And there's lots of information you can include to help guide you. Write down their favorite colors, favorite movies, favorite bands, favorite foods, favorite sports teams. Write down places they want to go or experiences they want to have, stores they like to shop at, brands they like to wear. Include their clothes sizes, restaurants they want to try. The possibilities are endless. Every person is complex and interesting and comes with their own quirks and preferences. And then from time to time, revise your list. Ask the person, is this still accurate? Is this still your favorite TV show, your pant size? Do you still want to try this restaurant? And maybe they'll say yes. Maybe they'll say, no, I was really into that show five years ago, but it got canceled and just kind of left me hanging. Or maybe they'll say, no, I've actually gained two sizes in quarantine. Thanks for asking. Or no, I tried that restaurant last month and I got food poisoning. These things are good to know. So write it down, revise your list. The more you can get to know a person and actually write down the things you learn so that you can remember them when the time comes to get them a gift for Mother's Day or their birthday or Christmas or an anniversary or just because it's Tuesday, the easier gift giving will be and the more effective it will be. The more a gift makes a person feel known, the more it will make them feel loved. Got it? I think a lot of us stress out over gift giving or we give up and just go the gift card route to let someone pick out their own gift. And that's not necessarily bad. I, for one, love a good gift card. But I think if we shift our mindset to becoming like a detective and trying to find clues from the people we love about what kinds of gifts they would like to receive, and if we write down the clues we find so we can use them next time we're getting them a gift, then when we go to buy or make a gift for them, we'll have lots to work with. And then it's not stressful. It actually becomes really fun. We get to bless this person with something tangible that communicates to them that they are known and loved. When we give these kinds of gifts, there's such a greater chance that they'll be received well. So I want us to practice gift giving this week. For some of you, giving gifts comes naturally and you're already thinking of ideas of what you might give to the one or two people that you're doing this love language experiment with. For others of us, gift giving is harder. It's a skill we need to practice and get better at. It's a language we need to learn how to speak. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to give your love language experiment partner or partners one gift this week. Just one. And there's a stipulation. You can only give them their gift Wednesday at the earliest. And here's why. I want you to first practice being a detective. I want you to listen closely and pay attention over at least the next couple days to try to learn something new about the person that you're going to give a gift to. And then you can give them their gift when you're both ready to exchange them. And then I actually want you to do one more thing because this is just an experiment and we're all just learning here. I want you to debrief your gifts like a post-game analysis. I want you to sit down and you as the recipient now, I want you to give an honest assessment of the gift that you received. So tell them all the things that you appreciate about the gift and the ways that it makes you feel known. Be specific. And then tell them anything that they could have tweaked or done differently to make this gift make you feel even more known. Um, be honest, 
let them know both the positives and the negatives, do a full debrief. So you'll share and they'll share as well. And in order for this to work, we have to commit together that we aren't going to take this feedback personally and we're not gonna let it shut us down. We're all in this experiment because we want to learn to speak the five love languages better, right? So this week, I'm asking you to practice speaking the love language of gifts and then be open to giving and receiving feedback on how you each did so you can speak it better the next time. I know giving and receiving feedback can feel awkward or even scary for some of us, maybe all of us, but this really is such a good way to let the most important people in our lives know how they can love us even better in the future. And I promise you, the more open your communication is about your gift giving now, the better the gifts are that you will give and receive later, and the more you're going to feel known and loved. All right. I'm excited. Feel free to email me or text me. Let me know how it goes. I would love to hear from you. And now as we wrap up our service today, we're going to take communion. So grab your bread and your juice if you didn't already. We said earlier that God is the best gift giver. He gave us his son, Jesus, to come to earth, born as a baby, to live a human life. Jesus was both fully God and fully human. He showed us who God is, what he's like. And then on the night Jesus was betrayed, he ate a close meal with his friends. And during the meal, he took bread and wine and he gave them as gifts. He gave these gifts to his first disciples and to all who would follow him later. The bread and wine or juice of communion are gifts to us. They are visual symbols of God's love. They're tangible items we can look at that remind us as we break the bread that Jesus' body was broken for us. And as we drink the drink that Jesus' blood was poured out for us, that Jesus died for our sins and was raised back to life to restore us into a relationship with God who knows us completely and still loves us completely. It's our custom to pray a prayer of confession together before taking communion. So will you join me in praying these words? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. Adam is going to play a song and as he does, take a minute to hold these gifts in your hand. Reflect on the love of the giver communicated to you through these gifts and then eat and drink.